Hey, glad you guys are here. If you want to open up your Bibles or you in the bulletin, you'll find Exodus 1. We're going to read verses 8 through 14. So take a minute to find it if you'd like to follow along. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from them to afflict with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard in service, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) We were waiting with bated breath for that. Well... Good to see all of you. You know, the book of Exodus begins with suffering, and that's so relevant to us because the Christian life, if we look at the rest of the Bible, the Christian life is characterized by suffering. Now, as Americans, as consumers, as really happy, comfortable people, that can be shocking to us. But uh, the Bible warns us over and over again of what we might call the dark clouds of suffering. In 2010, in Iceland, there was a volcano. They, Iceland is still a volcanic country, and they had this huge, massive volcano that went off, and it was during April of 2010, and because of that, th- this cloud that spread all the way across Europe, all these dark clouds, planes, flights were grounded. It was disrupted. During the month of April of 2010, there were 95 thousand flights that were canceled because of those dark clouds. Not only that, but if you're trying to look at the, look at the sun, you're trying to look at the, the clouds would distort your view of things. And that's a lot like, like it is for us. Uh, I know that there are people in this church who are going through some deep suffering. Sometimes Molly and I as we think, as we get to know so many people, our elders do, our deacons do, sometimes it's almost too much to bear to, to see the suffering that occurs. And what happens with that, those dark clouds of suffering, they disrupt our lives and they also can distort our view of the Christian life and our view of God, so much so that there are clouds that prevent us from seeing the bright sunshine of the love of God in our lives. And I know, I know, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, there are people this morning where you are experiencing the dark clouds of suffering. We talk about this topic, if you have been a Christian for many, many years, I already know and you already know that you have walked this this road of suffering, a road marked by suffering. And you have been tested many times, but isn't it true that if you're being tested again by suffering, the pain is still real. The pain is still exquisite. And if you're a young person here this morning, 
whether you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, or if you're a young Christian, the heart of this message is really to prepare you for suffering. Because as you read the Bible, what, call, what God calls us to do is to live in light of our hope and to remain faithful to God. And so my burden for us, my burden for our church, and I can tell you that in your Christian life, you will yet experience the storm clouds of suffering. Our church, other churches, will experience the storm clouds of suffering. And so you want to be prepared for that. So we come to this book of Exodus. It is the epic story of the liberation of God's people from Egypt. And it takes us back to this pilot episode where we meet some important characters in the book of, of Exodus. We meet, for example, uh, the new king, the Pharaoh, so we meet him. We also meet what are known as the children of Israel, the covenant family of God. They are the church of their day. They are our family album. And this story begins with suffering, and you have to take it back to this pilot episode, this epic drama that will take us throughout the book of Exodus over the next few months. You go back to this pilot episode, and it begins with suffering. And the good news is, as, a, as, a, as the Bible always does, this passage, passage sheds light on the meaning of suffering in our lives. So there's a three-point outline. I know that's a big surprise, but we want you to remember three things. First of all, the dark clouds of suffering are quite often unplanned. They surprise us. Secondly, the dark clouds of suffering can drive us to despair because sometimes they're sustained. And then thirdly, the dark clouds of suffering have a mysterious purpose. So let's talk about those th three things from this brief passage which sheds light on it. The first thing we learn from this passage is that the dark clouds of suffering are unplanned. Did you notice back, check out verse, verse 8, the first verse that was read. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, what's that talking about? Well, first of all, it wasn't planned, this new king, but Joseph, if you go back to the book of Genesis, just to the left of Exodus, you go back there. Genesis chapter 37 through 50 is the story of Joseph. Joseph had led the people of Israel, that is, these are our ancestors, our covenant family. He had led them from Canaan, modern-day Israel, all the way over into Egypt because they were fleeing a famine. So suffering, one of the things that happens, like the famine was a surprise, and that moved him along to Egypt. Well, Joseph went through his own suffering. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was forgotten by the, the, uh, by the baker. He, uh, he, was, he suffered under the trial of temptation with Potiphar's wife, went through all kinds of things. But by the end, he could look back on that he had become, because of his faithfulness, God had made him very, very high in the kingdom of Egypt, and God used him and gave him favor in the nation of, of Egypt, and so he was favored by the Pharaoh in the book of Genesis. This was a wonderful time for Joseph, a wonderful time for Israel because they had favor, but now in Exodus, it was unplanned. It was unexpected. It would say that a new king over Egypt arose who did not know Joseph. Now, those are the ominous storm clouds of suffering and what's going to happen. And it sets, sets the stage for the story of this book. We're going to get to know this new king, 
this new Pharaoh. But the thing I want you to realize about suffering, the storm clouds of suffering are very often unplanned. Uh, just this past weekend, uh, I have a dear friend, fellow pastor in town, whose mother suddenly died. Uh, Joe and I have a colleague and a very close friend of, of Joe's who two, two days ago, a pastor in Pasadena, was, was killed in a motorcycle accident. That church this morning is meeting knowing that their pastor just suddenly died. The suffering that we go through is so often unplanned. In 1975, uh, Molly was coming back from Colorado with two other friends in a small foreign car from Colorado all the way to Virginia. And while they were in Kansas on the interstate, the person driving the car uh, got afraid of this big truck that went past them and swerved over to the side. The car that Molly was in, the small car, flipped across the median and landed upside down in the oncoming traffic. And Molly herself, as a young, young college student, she was thrown out of the back of this car and landed on the median. She was rushed to the hospital. She, uh, she lost her spleen. She lost part of a kidney. She went through months of recovery, uh, had to be flown back to Virginia for that. But something like that happened, and what that can do is that can, number one, it's, it's disruptive, like those storm clouds over, coming out of Iceland and the volcano. It's disruptive, and it can distort your view of the Christian life, and that is why we need to understand suffering. But so often, it is unplanned. Now, there's a second thing about suffering, the storm clouds of suffering that we see in this passage, is that it's not only unplanned, but the suffering can also lead us to despair. I want you to look back at the passage for a minute, and I want you to walk through, because the writer is very careful to describe what's going on. Look at verse 9. It says, This new king said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 11, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Okay, so what's going on here? Pharaoh is threatened by the increasing numbers of the children of Israel. So this, this actually turns into state-sponsored terrorism. This is when a, a, a state, a country, turns against their people. Pharaoh, in this story, uh, as we go through the book of Exodus, Pharaoh, if this were Star Wars, Pharaoh would be Darth Vader. He is an evil guy. He is evil. But he represents the epic struggle of the story of redemption between God and Satan. He represents this epic struggle that we still experience today. He is one of the bad guys of Scripture. He's the Darth Vader of Scripture. And what you have here is this state-sponsored terrorism. Now you go, Mike, did this really happen? Did you know that this past week they just discovered some more um, archaeological ruins in Egypt? And it is so fascinating. They discovered like this whole city, sort of like the, the tomb of King Tut, and they discover all these things. And it wasn't this week, but further back, there was an inscription that described this experience of having these uh, slave masters, these taskmasters. And this is an ancient text that describes 
a slave master checking on the slaves along the Nile River. And uh, there are some attendants with him, and they're all carrying clubs. And the taskmaster comes up to this one slave and says, is there grain? The slave says there's no grain. And so they club him, and they beat him over and over again. And then they take him, and they submerge his head in a well, into a well of water. His wife is, uh, is, is taken and is, and is captured. His children are in fetters in front of him. This is an ancient text that describes what it's like. And this is what the people of Israel are going through. And these are those storm clouds. Now, you might say, well, is there, what, does that happen today? And the answer to that is yes. There are countries around the world where Christians are going through this. There are churches being closed in Algeria. There are places where, where nations, where governments are in opposition to the church. I think one of the most painful examples that I'm aware of, but a lot of people in our church are connected to this, is that the Chinese Communist Party in China has not only taken, taken this, their, their huge Uyghur population, put them in training camps, it has been designated a genocide, what they are doing to them, but they are also closing Christian churches, they are also imprisoning pastors. And so a lot of us are aware of, of one specific church in China where we know a couple of years ago they closed the church down, they took the pastor, they put him in prison, very well-known guy, He's in prison, and, and every time I hear more about this story, I can, just, I can just picture the despair of his wife, his family, his church, when church leaders are being imprisoned, and it just gets worse and worse because the guy is still in prison. He is still going through this trial. These dark clouds can lead people to despair, and I don't know if, if you and I, apart from the grace of God, could withstand a test like that because it just gets worse and worse and worse. So every time I hear about that story, it is just so painful to hear. You know, we in our country right now, at least for a brief season, and here in Orlando, we wear our masks to church. And that feels that feels like we're going through like we're going through suffering. We're going through persecution. But there are Christians, there are fellow believers today in China who would gladly put on masks if their pastor and their church leaders could be released from prison and if they, could, if they could gather in person, they would gladly, the masks would be nothing to them. So it just puts things in perspective. But when we go through suffering in our lives, you see the despair. One more verse I wanna read you from this, this passage. It says in verse 13, so they they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So the dark clouds of suffering can happen very suddenly. They, they are unplanned, but secondly, they can lead us to despair. And you think of what a gut-wrenching experience this particular story was for God's people. You know, there's a, I ran across an interesting phrase about what it's like to feel despair and suffering. And the phrase is this, earth is threatening, but heaven is silent. You know, we talk about the characters in this passage. You've got Pharaoh, you've got the children of Israel. But you, did you notice there's no mention of God? in this passage. Uh, 
And so where is God in the midst of suffering? What is God's purpose in the midst of this? One of the things that we're reminded as we go through Scripture, as we fast forward, is that there is one who on the cross asks that same question. Philip Ryken says that what suffering does is that suffering brings the question mark into the story of our lives. Have you felt that? Suffering brings the question mark into the story of our lives. And so we go, where is God? Where is he in this story? Where is he in this passage? Where is he with a family that lost their husband and their dad on Friday? Where is God in the midst of our suffering and what's going on? But there is one who on the cross himself asks a question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we look at Christ hanging on the cross we look at that story, we look at his suffering, and we realize that is the pattern of redemption, that suffering is redemptive. Because we learn in the book of Acts that Christ was, yes, he was at the hands of sinful men, he was, he was crucified on a cross. But Acts says in, in chapter two that he was, he was delivered up by the predetermined plan of God, and God had a redemptive purpose, he had our salvation in mind. And so the story of Christ, Christ crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, shows us that God has a purpose in suffering. So I want to talk a little bit about that. This is the part that I really want to be practical with you all. When I was a young Christian, I remember having somebody explain to me an answer to the question, why does God allow suffering in the world. If there's all this suffering, where is God and why doesn't God do something about it? So what I want to do right now is go to our third point. I want to talk about how there is, is the dark clouds of suffering have a mysterious purpose. And I want you to remember this as you think about the, the, the suffering of the world, as you think about what you go through, there is a, there is a mysterious purpose that we see at the cross but we see throughout the redemptive story. So three things I want to say about the purposes of God and suffering. There's a lot that we could say. There is, there is so much that we can say. The first thing, by the way, before I go into those three things, I want to let you know about, I want to talk for a moment about our response when people in our church suffer, when your family suffers, when your friends suffer. When I have my friend who lost his mother this weekend and I texted him, what we want to say about suffering is that there are no trite answers. When people suffer, our best response to them is not to fix them, but it is empathy, to simply be there with them and to allow room for emotion, to allow room for grieving, room for sadness, because it is a dark time in their soul. We have people in our church going through those things, and there are not trite answers, and our goal is to be with them, to empathize to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. But the Bible teaches that we can arm ourselves for this road marked with suffering and we can answer, the Bible answers some of the larger questions of suffering and some of the larger questions of life and only Bible, the Bible has that answer. So here's one of the first things. I'm gonna give you three practical answers about why does God allow suffering, what's going on, 
what's the mysterious purpose? First of all, the first thing to understand is much of the suffering in the world is the product of man's inhumanity to man. It's been said that we cannot understand suffering in the world unless we understand the biblical doctrine of sin, the biblical doctrine of human depravity. This is what we see going on in Egypt. If you ask the question, what is going on with the people of Israel here? It is, it is Egypt, the Egyptian ruler, the Pharaoh, it is those people, it is those taskmasters. This is man's inhumanity to man. And one of the reasons that exists is because there is sin in the world and we live in a broken world. Uh, a lot of you know that our daughter, uh, Amy and her husband Greg lived in Ghana for almost two years. They worked with an organization called International Justice Mission. And they had opportunities to go to Philippines to, to, to deal with kind of uh, sex trafficking, or they could go to Ghana. Now here's what was happening in Ghana. You had children who were taken out, who were, um, who were being trafficked for economic reasons. So you would have this huge lake called Lake Volta, and there were people that, that wanted to fish in those lakes, but the fish were hidden in deep crevices in those lakes. And so what they would do is they would take children away from their families, and these children would be diving down, seven-year-old, eight-year-old children diving down to capture the fish for these merchants on uh, Lake, Lake Volta in Ghana. So International Justice Mission set up an office there, and they worked with the government, they worked with the police in order to expose this human trafficking that was going on there and to bring justice to that situation. And there were actual rescues. Um, my daughter and her husband were there to, to film some of the rescues of children from these boats. And these children who had been trafficked, who had been taken from their families, who had been taken out of school, that is awful, awful suffering. And you go, why does that exist? It is because of man's inhumanity to man. It is because of sin. And so these kids would be rescued, and then they would be taken into aftercare. They'd be restored to their families. They would be cared for. They would get back into school. And so you learn something else, and that is... One of the things that, that um, this, this makes so important is the work of the church to alleviate suffering. And so one of the beautiful things throughout history is that God has used his people, God has used the church to alleviate human suffering in the world. And the mission of International Justice Mission in Accra, Ghana was just a, a very vivid example to me of that how churches would work together, they would organize themselves to rescue these children. The Bible talks about that, that it is, it is, it is pure and undefiled religion to, uh, to care for the orphans, to care for the widow. And so our church today, we, we really believe that part of the mission of the church is as an expression of our commitment to the gospel is to be involved in alleviating suffering. So we work with, with great organizations in the city like Grace Medical Home or Jobs Partnership or Elevate Orlando. There's all these organizations that are doing really good things to alleviate suffering. But a lot of the suffering in the world, it is a broken world and it goes back to sin. Let me talk about a second purpose in suffering, what's going on. 
one of the things that, would, that is happening here is, let, let's just say the word growth. If the first one just had to do with sin in the world, the second one has to do with what we're going to call the growth of the church or the growth of the people of God. Now, I want you to notice there's a verse in Exodus chapter 1 here, verse 12. It says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. What was going on in the suffering, in the suffering here is that the, the people of Israel became stronger. They grew stronger in the midst of their suffering. And so what's happening here is God is outsmarting Pharaoh. He, in, in the chess game of eternity, he is outsmarting Pharaoh. The same thing is happening in nations around the world that have tried to set back the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell would, will not prevail against it. Joseph himself said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. So a lot of times God's plan in our suffering is our growth. Not just sort of exponential numerical growth, although I would say that one of the countries in the world that has the most, most people coming to faith in Christ and where the church is growing is the nation of Iran. What's happening there is God is using, in spite of the suffering, God is growing his church. But it's not just numerical growth of the church, it is also the character growth of believers. So one of the things to realize, I remember when Molly and I got involved with Lake Baldwin Church, the hardest year of our life, ministry-wise, was in 2008, because all these torpedoes hit the boat. And, and that year was a year where so much was stripped away about my expectations for what God had called us to do as a church. And we could ask, and we would have despair. We would lie awake at night and my heart would be beating fast and Molly would be like, my husband's gonna have a heart attack here because the pressure and the stress were so great. One of the things I learned from that though is that God was using that season in my life. Some 12 years ago, God was using that season to, to strip me of some unhealthy character issues in my life and to bring about growth that would not have happened any other way. And the Bible taught, teaches us that in Romans chapter five, verses three through five. It says that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. That is the golden chain of redemptive suffering is that God usually has a plan. We, we, we are expecting one thing to happen, but along the way, God is developing our character. That is a consistent theme. James 1, 2 through 4, considered all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its, its result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the mystery of suffering, one is it's a result of sin in the world, but the other is that God is growing his church and God is growing our character through suffering. And then there's a third thing that suffering teaches us, and what's behind this, this uh, the, there's a, mis, a, a mysterious purpose in suffering. In that purpose, one of the things that God is doing is he is letting us know that earth is not our true home. He's focusing our hope on Christ. There's a, with, with um, the people of Israel and Exodus, one of the things that we're gonna learn is their true home that has been promised by God 
is in Canaan. It is in the promised land. That's where God's going to lead them. So they're going through this suffering because they are now, rather than clinging to Egypt, rather than clinging to what was not best for them, God wants to prepare them for their new home. In many ways, the Christian life is like that. You and I will not be free of the road marked by suffering in this life. And it, it, it shows us that our hope is in our heavenly home, the home that God is preparing for us. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends. And that's part of his plan, to be in a church where we're cared for and we're supported, some, some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. We're so prone to mistake this life as good as, as, good as it is for home. Now, a lot of people might ask, ask the question, well, where is God in the midst of suffering? Why doesn't God do something about the suffering in the world around us? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Number one, he has done something. He became a man in Jesus Christ and dealt with the root cause on the cross and defeated Satan at the cross. He has done something. Also, he will do something. He will restore his his world. He is not finished. He will restore his perfect creation. But thirdly, not only he, has he done something, not only will he do something, but he is doing something today through the church. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to alleviate suffering. We are called to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. We are called to that as a church. And in doing that, just as he did at Lake Volta in Ghana, God is doing something. He's doing something in our midst. He's doing something in our city. He is growing our character. God is doing something to alleviate suffering in the world. Finally, a word to those of you here this morning who feels like these dark clouds of suffering are too much for me. It just feels too dark. Listen to this quote from Helen Keller. She said, experiencing sorrow is like entering a cave. We are overwhelmed by the darkness and the loneliness. We feel that there is no escape from the prison house of pain. But God in his loving kindness has placed on the invisible wall the lamp of faith, whose beams shall lead us back to the sunlit world where work and friends and service await us. You see, God is not finished. We've entitled this sermon series in Exodus, Unfinished. We saw this opening episode in Exodus chapter 1, but God is not finished with his people. God is not finished with your life. God is not finished with the work of, church and the work of his church in the world. It is unfinished, and we're going to see what God does. Corey Ten Boom said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray together. Lord, you're the God of all comfort, and all of us in this room feel the pain and the burden of those around us, fellow believers, friends and family, who are going through suffering. Lord, would you this day strengthen our hearts? Would you increase 
our faithfulness to you? Would you enable us to fix our hope on what you will do and to fix our hope in what you're doing in our lives? We pray these prayers with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.